Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name's Natalie. Hello. It's a privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. Um, there are sometimes I get to the stage when I'm preparing a sermon and I look and I think, Lord, why this week and why me? Um, in the message translation, one of Jesus' comments from our passage this morning says this, they talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take into their hearts and live out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. Jesus reflects that because these people that he's having a conversation with sit in a position of authority in Moses' seat, it says in our passage, um, that you're to look at them and it says you're to do what they teach, but, you're to do what they teach, but, and it's a big but, it says don't follow their way of living. The title for the passage, as Steve read, is variously listed as a religious fashion show, seven woes, or a warning against hypocrisy. So as a leader, I am fully aware of my own fallibility and rightly aware that God will hold me to account on the day of judgment. I'm sure you'll not be surprised, therefore, that I took many deep breaths as I prayed through how to preach this morning. Um, my conclusion was, does anyone want to swap places? <laughs> we have the next slide. There you go. Sorry. Um, I jest, but let's pray so that we hear from God. Lord Jesus, uh, take my words and where I fail, replace them with your own. Where they're in line with your will for those of us here, help us to help them land in our hearts and minds with a grace that helps each one of us to live as you did and as you do, so that the light of God's kingdom would shine more brightly through each of our lives. Amen. So I wonder, as you heard that passage read to you this morning, who you think Jesus is addressing and what kind of change you think he's looking for and in whom. I joked earlier about leaders and people in power, and for good reason, of late, across the pond and in our own country, um, we've seen that godly action on behalf of leaders and those in power cannot always be assumed. And there's a risk as we unpack this passage that we point a misguided finger of judgment just at the teachers of Jesus' day and at the Pharisees, implying a naughty tut-tut. It's simple to do that, isn't it? They're the hypocrites, but I'm not exactly sure that's the teaching that Jesus is giving. We know from earlier in this sermon series that Jesus' intent was not to disregard the law that the Jewish leaders were guiding their community to live in. You might recall this verse from one of our earlier sermons. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, Jesus says. But I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. What's being taught by these teachers of the law 
is all that Jesus intends to fully fulfill in himself. At their best, these leaders, including the Pharisees, had a passion to see the law lived out in a way that honours the covenant relationship between the Jewish people and God. They were all for seeing love, faith, justice, obedience lived in the reality of people's daily lives. So a lazy look at this passage risks pointing the finger at those Jewish leaders. So I wonder if those leaders are not the only people that Jesus is addressing. What is he wanting to see changed? Who are his comments directed at and why? And it could be as simple as saying, who's Jesus recorded as speaking to in our passage? Because he's speaking to the crowds and the disciples. And he says this to them. Obey them and do everything they tell you. Or in the NIV translation, be careful to do everything they tell you, but... And I would suggest that his words can be addressed to each one of us in this room and those who are blessing us by joining us online. Do everything that is said in the law, but. The but makes it clear we're invited to follow religious instruction, but not hypocritical action. The what, the who, the what and the why. These crowds and, these, and us as disciples ultimately today, the what, we are to guard ourselves from inauthentic teaching. Ah, I left my prop, one sec. Uh, this is one of the toys from the play corner. It looks like an ice cream. It's not an authentic ice cream. I don't suggest you eat it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Guard yourself from something inauthentic. Why? So that we can avoid living our lives in a way that is hollow. We speak one word, we do a completely different thing. Words which are empty of the matching loving actions that Jesus illustrated in his life and continues to want to see lived out in the world today. So how do we do that? We have to discern who are wise teachers to follow. We have to work out who's an inauthentic teacher and who's a genuine teacher. So a couple of categories come out of inauthentic and authentic teachers. If we can have our next slide, please. The way of discerning true teachers. Authentic teachers never promote their own status. They are all for servant-heartedness and not for status. And like Jesus, authentic teachers live in a manner that matches their words. They practice what they preach. If we could have our next slide, please. And I'd like to suggest that our passage is saying that Christ's call to us as worshippers is to be the same. The call is addressed to us as much as it is to those leaders. Let's start with status, if we could have our next image, please. In our passage, verse 8, unpicks this tension between servanthood and status, which the crown of thorns and the crown of glory represents in this image. Jesus is opening in verse 8 with, but you, 
reminds us this is, this is a call to many. He's not just pointing a finger at those leaders. He's inviting us all not to seek after status because in verse 8 we're reminded that we are brothers and sisters together in faith. None of us have status above and beyond another. We have different roles, but not different status. Rather, we are united in our role as Christian children. Children of one God, our Father. And together, in verse 10, we are called to look to one instructor, the Messiah. That one authentic leader is Jesus. And our humility is allowing us to lead us in ways of word and lifestyle. Jesus is the only leader who's able to transform our lives, and he's a shining example of servant leadership. As the Prince of Heaven, he could have decided to stay put in heaven, living with the Father in glory, but instead he chose the humility of death on a cross. And because of that death and rising again, he is the one who's able to remove the weight of those burdens that our passage speaks about, the weight of our ill-informed actions and our ill-informed words. In other words, he takes away our sins. He removes them from us and sets us on a right path each day and every day. Jesus, in time, will put a crown of glory on the head of those who choose to remain humble before him. So what's a practical illustration of what that unstatus-seeking lifestyle looks like? Well, I'm more than delighted to give you an illustration um, via my own humility. I can count, count the number of times that gracious members of this congregation or loving members of the staff team have come up to me and reminded me very calmly and very graciously of things that have slipped my mind. Or they've highlighted chances to partner with God's mission in fresh ways. Being servant-hearted, they've come to me or members of the team with wonderful ideas. And graciously, they have said, this is the part I can play in making that happen. That is the blessing of church, discerning together as a community how we might follow the will of God in word and action. One example which is apt for this week is Fiona and the team who gather around her to support refugee ministry. Together they lovingly and graciously point out opportunities that exist for our community to do what we say we'll do. They give practical expression to the words on the walls of the atrium and our prayer room. And just to remind you in case you haven't spotted what those words are, they go like this from Micah Chapter 6, verse 8. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. And in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We serve the refugees that come into our church. We give them a place of safety in place of the unimaginable violence, persecution, or hardship they may have had to experience. And our weekly drop-ins are a regular time for us to be servant-hearted. In unity, 
as brothers and sisters, without status, just loving one another as expression of God's love. These lovely, but in some cases scarred individuals come to us simply to have a conversation while they work out when and if it might be safe to return home. So we honor them with God's love. An expression of God's love is a conversation, a cup of coffee, a tea. And we stand as welcomers. We stand as keepers of God's justice in that moment in the face of their scars, which may be physical, emotional, or both. That's an example of some humble service, of servant action where word matches deeds which connects us from status and servanthood to the second emphasis of our passage, which is practical action. The desire to see those who grow in faith have Christ-like actions that match their words of praise and worship. In effect, God's call for us to practice what we preach. Not literally preach, because not all of you preach sermons, although you're always welcome. Um, But we practice what we preach, don't we? Or do we? Not always. I don't always. This is the time of year in Oxford where many people are being licensed by the bishop for ministry as priests and deacons in our church. Not literally in this one for this year, but... You know, all those who are becoming curates are are licensed. And as they do so, they are reminded that in due time, they must give an account for all they do as leaders before God. And that thought may make it easy to slip back into the earlier risk of just focusing on the leaders from our passage. They don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. However, you might be surprised that in the licensing of deacons and priests, the words that are said don't just focus on those individuals. The words of the service, there are two slides, and I've put them up so you can follow them, go like this. Sorry, the print's a bit small. God calls his people to follow Christ and to form us into a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to declare the wonderful deeds of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in a service where you're licensing an individual, God calls his people to follow Christ and to form us, all of us, into a royal priesthood. And then the the words of this part of the service. The church is the body of Christ, people of God, and the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, the whole church is summoned to witness to God's love and to work for the coming of his kingdom. These two sets of words remind those present of two things that echo with our passage from today. Firstly, that we share in light-bringing. God-glorifying calling. And we do that together. We are a royal and a servant-hearted priesthood. And secondly, we practice what we preach in unity. 
And we have to avoid, as we do that, placing overburdensome loads on those people's shoulders who are struggling. We do that by depending on the Holy Spirit as the engine and the power and the fuel to equip us for the work that we do. Not by adding what we seek others to do, but to turn in on ourselves and say, God, what is my calling? What is my place? What is my part to play? As leaders, John, I and others around you are called to be servant-hearted leaders to you, accountable to point you to a life where your words and actions mirror Jesus more fully as you grow in faith. Whatever age and stage of faith you may be at, some of you here have been worshipping for longer than I've been born. Amen. Thank you for still worshipping and encouraging those of us who are younger in faith. And God calls us together to a lifestyle that never adds burden upon burden to those who are struggling. Some of us here are already carrying plenty. But we should encourage each other still to practice what we preach. In other words, we work equipped by the Spirit in ways that are in harmony with what we say and what we sing in each service. And that as brothers and sisters together in Christ, we're not status-orientated, but servant-hearted. So I wonder, as you've listened, what has touched you most? Is it Jesus' call to move away from status towards more of a servant heart? Or is it his call to have words that match deeds and practice what we preach? Whichever of those two emphases might have touched your heart the most, know that your equipping and your ultimate teaching are at their most fruitful when the focus is on the life, the love, and the hope of Christ and fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit that is poured into each one of us daily. Let's pause to pray as we turn from thinking to worshipping. Lord Jesus, we stand with open hearts and open minds to receive your call on each one of us with those who are already burdened and held in your comfort and in your love, know the truth of that comfort and that love. With those of us you are challenging and reshaping, know the aspect of our lives that you want us to focus on for this week, for this time, and equip us to work in unity as a church to sing and to worship and to praise with words that match our actions and with actions that begin in service. For we want your glory to shine in this town and it, through the lives that we have. Would we be a declaration of your love in this place for the people we meet? Amen. <laughs>